Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, my name is Maureen Metcalf. I'm Welcome to the radio show, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders in their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their business and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovative, innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at universities in the U.S. and Germany. I am delighted, given the purpose of this show, to introduce you to Dr. Tracy Weiland. Tracy is a researcher and speaker on the impact of technology on society, work, and careers. She's a former visiting scholar at Stanford University. She's held leadership positions at Apple, HB, and Cisco Systems. She was an adjunct professor at, for Bay Area Colleges, teaching classes in business, technology, and women's workforce topics. Dr. Weiland was named San Francisco Woman of the Year and honored by the San Francisco Business Times as the most influential woman in the Bay Area businesses. So this show, the Voice America show, I designed this for busy professionals who recognize that the world is changing quickly and they need to update their skills, and yet taking time out of a day where we are often working 15 hours a day or much longer seems next to impossible. So my intent is to expose you to people like Tracy who are able to help you see and help me see the changes that we're experiencing now, how they will impact us, and help all of us frame how we will lead differently. So the outcome of today's session, digital disruption is the change that occurs when digital technologies and business models affect the value proposition of existing goods and services. Words like change, disturbance to the status quo, innovation, new markets and products. Tracy and Maureen uh, will talk about Tracy's new book, Digital Disruption, The Future of Work, Skills, Leadership, Education, and Careers in a Digital World, focusing on the 10 disruptive predictions for 2018 and beyond. So, Tracy, welcome. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. So, let's start with just this idea of digital disruption. What is it? Well, as you noted, you know, it is a time when you have new technologies coming in. The World Economic Forum has called it the fourth industrial revolution. You know, the first one is we moved from agriculture to factories, and then we went into PCs and technology. Now we're in a whole new realm where we have artificial intelligence and big data and autonomous cars and robotics, and it's shifting. It's shifting the way that we make things. It's shifting the way that services are developed and delivered, and this is creating a lot of anxiety for people, fear perhaps, but it's something that I view as just very positive. 
Cool. So let's jump in. You said your new book. Tell us a little bit about the book, and then let's talk about the predictions that you're seeing. Sure. So the book is called Digital Disruption, and it's really about the future of work, uh, skills, education, careers in this new digital world, really transformational world, and how do we address it? And basically, it's 10 chapters, and I partition each chapter to be like a standalone read, like a very long blog with tips and pointers, case studies, so that each segment, whether you're an educator, whether you're a leader or um, an employee or student, you can really find facts and figures that will be useful for you to maneuver your own, whether it's career or students or or leadership group, um, in a positive way. Cool. So so it sounds like it is both positive and also applicable to a broad range of, of people, irrespective of industry. Yes, you know, when I started, it was really for leaders who said, you know, the world is changing my firm, and I need to figure out how to really address talent management and employees. And then the HR group said, you know, I could really use some of this wisdom as well. Could you include best practices for us? And then it started to trickle where educators said, well, we're the pipeline into the firm, so we really need to understand what to do with our students. And then, of course, employees said, well, the world is changing around me in the workforce, so I need some tips. And so it sort of became a book that tried to address pragmatically tips, pointers, and advice for each of these segments. Fabulous. And and our show is focused on leaders, but leaders, again, leading across several sectors. So let's jump into the predictions. What's number one? So number one is society is disruptive. If you think about it, if you're sleeping with your smartphone, if you panic if it's missing, if you're texting people many times a day and you have numerous apps that you count on and use frequently, if you're posting selfies a lot and you're on the social media, you use ride-sharing and you're an online Prime member, then you probably have accepted, maybe you're addicted to technology, but it certainly has disrupted your life. In fact, there's over 8.4 billion connected things in use today in the world. And there's more smartphones than people in the world. And in the U.S., we have three smart devices per person. So for many of us, technology is just a way of life, and we're highly dependent on it. And what that means is we're going to be coming to companies and demanding things faster um, as we get, you know, used to it. We're going to be going to education institutions and expecting to have, you know, all of our coursework on apps. Um, and so as society really gets more hyper-connected and dependent and addicted, our expectations will change. And so I think this is the first prediction is society is already addicted and we're going to be continuing to put pressure on businesses and anyone that we interact with to really be more responsive to our needs in a digital world. So for us, as a consulting and leadership development firm, that means that we've taken a lot of our development work and put it on an app. So we've been online for a long time, but this is, being on an app is different. Well, I think what, what I'm saying is that as a consumer, just say like mm-hmm. shopping, right? I went into a paint store 
and I needed to match some very old paint. And I couldn't uh-huh. understand why there was an app to match the paint color because to me it was very logical because everything else I had was so automated. And so my expectation for the paint store, and they were like, well, why don't you just dig a chip off the wall and bring it in and we'll match it up. And I was like, you've got to be crazy. People are so much more advanced now. You should be able, I should be able to take a picture of the wall and you should be able to, to match it. So I'm just one of these many people in society who's using a lot of technology and wanting, you know, inventory on the shelves much faster, delivery within an hour. Um, you know, what do you mean you charge for returns, right? So I've gotten very used to the efficiencies of the technology and I keep increasing my expectations. And so as a business leader, then, I need to be thinking about consistently how do I continue to use technology to make it, keep myself competitive? Well, what I would do as a business leader is I would tap into my customer base. And I think Amazon has shown us that they do this extremely well, right? So every time a customer wants something, Amazon has figured out how to deliver it, whether it's free delivery overnight delivery, drone delivery, shop and go without, you know, a wallet. Um, So what they're really doing is looking at their customer base and saying, what are the needs in this very hectic world and how can I match those needs and make it really easy and simple for them? And so I think that's sort of what as leaders we have to look at our customers. How can we make sure that we have ultimate customer satisfaction while being profitable, and how can technology really help us do that? Great, great point. (laughs) So then now let's go on to the second one, um, disrupted work. How is work disrupted? Well, I see three shifts in the workplace. Um, Number one is that your coworker will change. It will likely be, if not already, a contractor, a freelance expert, a robot, artificial intelligence. So, you know, you will have virtual teammates in this 24 by 7 workday. And I think that's important for people to understand that you will probably not be driving into these antiquated buildings and offices with cubicles and only working with face-to-face people from 9 to 5. That's sort of like a legacy office of the past. And instead, you'll have a wide variety of coworkers. The second area is that it's a much more competitive world. If you think about it, businesses are started off of smart devices. I mean, I'll just use the Uber as an example. Uber has taken a smart device, developed an app, and has connected supply and demand. Drivers who have cars who want to make money driving other people and riders who really don't want to invest in a car or maybe not use public transportation or taxi systems, but are willing to pay someone else for the ride. And now this technology, the smart device, and a simple app has connected this supply and demand, solving really a problem for many people, particularly in cities or congested areas and even remote areas. And so the point is, is that that business was started off a a smart device. So any business can be challenged from anywhere in the world, someone's garage to, you know, someone overseas, and that puts a lot of pressure on firms, leadership, and employees. The third one, which I think is the big one that we're all seeing, 
is extreme longevity. If you think about it, researchers are saying we could live to 115, and babies born today could live to 150 because we have the ability to edit their DNA. And, you know, people say, I don't want to live to 115, but you know what? Medical science, you can replace pretty much every body part and have it, you know, extend your life. It's pretty amazing. But the reality is for me as an individual, that means I have to afford to retire at a much later age than I expected, which means I might have to work 50, 60, or 70 years to be able to really afford to live to 115. And that's mind-boggling for people because that means they may outlive the firm that they're working for, so they have to actually plan more. But for the leader, what you're seeing, you know, if you're running a firm, is probably three generations in the workforce, maybe four generations in the workforce, or maybe five generations in the workforce like McDonald's and Walmart. McDonald's is telling me their youngest employee is about 14 and a half on a part-time permit, and Walmart tells me their oldest employee is 103. And if you think about that, if you're leading a, a generation, five generations in the workforce, what that means is every generation has a different idea about work. You know, every generation has a different idea about leadership. Every generation has a different idea about, you know, how to get education or technology. And that's the big mind, you know, set that leaders have to realize is, I'm basically leading a bunch of snowflakes now. And how am I going to normalize all of this while I'm living, you know, and working and leading a firm in a very competitive world? You know, a couple of things come up to my mind with that one specifically. How do I, if I'm going to be working another 20 or 30 years, stay current? Because things are changing so quickly, I don't know that I'm able to continue the same pace I do now when I'm 70 or 80 years old or 90 years old, still working. And as leaders, how do we ensure that our workforce stays current and and provide the tools to enable them to do that in a cost-effective way? Yeah, exactly. So to your point, um, you know, number one, as an individual, if you're working, I always say, don't get overwhelmed. Learn two technologies in your industry, right, two that really make sense for you so that you can keep on top of it. So, like, for example, if you're manufacturing, you want to learn about robotics and 3D printing. If you're in the media, you want to learn about digital marketing and social media, things that really make sense to you so that you'll be more inclined to want to learn them and use them every day because technology is really just a language, and the more we use it, the more fluent we get with it. In terms of leadership and talent management, that's a big deal this year. I mean, it's huge. That's where a lot of firms are saying, I need to have an investment in normalizing all of these generations in the workforce so I can maximize the contribution. And that's really where HR comes in because they're partnering with the leaders, whether of business units or, or different groups, to say, how can we maximize the potential of our employee base and retain them so that they are happy working here and most productive. But the third point is for the individual, it means you really have to start planning your career. That this idea that I'm going to start at my 20s and exit work at my 50s and I'm going to hopefully stay at one firm is just gone away. And what I have to start doing is making a timeline for myself of saying, you know, what's my end game? Where do I really want to be in my 80s or 90s? Do I want to be independent and a consultant? Do I want to be a business owner? Do I want to be working in a nonprofit? Do I want to have my own business? 
And then I need to start cascading backwards, saying, well, if that's my end game, what do I need to do now to get there? Because many of us have been geared for, you know, how do I um, service the employer I work for, which is very important. But we now also have to think about how do we service ourselves? Because I really do have to think of myself as a revenue stream. How am I going to really fund myself until I'm in the age of 90s or 100? How do I fund myself and how do I get my head around the fact that I will be working decades longer than my parents did and decades longer maybe than I had intended to? Well, I think that's a really good point, but you'll find that if you find something that you like to do, that you do well, and you make money at it, a lot of people will say you don't have this overwhelming feeling of that you're ball and chained to work. So, for example, I just met a lawyer actually on the East Coast who's in his 80s. He loves his work because he found something that he's good at, they gain money at, and it gets him up every day in the morning. And he's very, very good at it and very popular. I mean, every day I meet people who say, you know, it really is that you have to like what you do, but you have to make money at it so you stick with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you don't really think about that you're still working in your 60s or 70s because what else are you going to do? And I think you'll find that people who are working later in later years will say, well, what else am I going to do? Play golf, you know, eight hours a day? You know, really, you know, what am I going to do? Maybe your map of life is working half-time and playing golf mm. and traveling instead of full-time retirement, which used to be what we did in the past. I think that's a brilliant point. Let's get a break. We will be right back with Tracy Wyland talking about digital disruption in 2018 and beyond. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you tapped your full potential as a leader? Sometimes you have to go a little deeper and connect with your inner force. 
Join host Angela King as she invites you to discover something that already lies within you and helps you become a better leader. Your most important connection is the one you have with yourself. It's time to connect, ignite, and rise. It's time for Inner Force. Tune in live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We are joined by Tracy Weiland and talking about her book, Digital Disruption, The Future of Work, Skills, Leadership, Education, and Careers in the Digital World that came out in 2018. So, Tracy, we've talked about the first two disruptions, disrupted society and disrupted work. Your third is disrupted industries. If work is if work is disrupted, is industry also disrupted, and if so, how? Well, absolutely. If you if you look around you, you know, I had mentioned Uber. It's one of the largest transportation firms without cars, and Airbnb is one of the largest hospitality firms, but they don't have hotel rooms. And Amazon is, you know, if not the largest, one of the largest retailers, and not until recently did they have a storefront. And so what we're seeing is that industry has been transformed just overnight. And, you know, just around the corner, if you think about it, we have autonomous cars. That's a completely different model. And what's really interesting about autonomous cars is everybody's making them, whether it's a chip company like Intel or a software company or entertainment company like Apple or Lyft and Uber. It's just amazing that overnight industries are getting changed. So as a leader, I need to be thinking about these trends how my company is changing, but also I need to have a serious eye on industry-related trends because I could be completely upended, if not out of business, in five years if I'm not paying attention. All right. So I think the big challenge for leaders today is that not only do you need to look at your own industry and what's happening there and what the competitive forces are, but you have to look at industries that you wouldn't expect. You know, is McDonald's going to get into my industry? Everyone is expecting Amazon to get in their industry. And so it makes it much more challenging because the disruptive competitor could come out of a completely different area. And so that means you just have really what I call interconnected knowingness. You have to know about your firm, your industry, and then also all of the adjacent industries and potential really players that could come in that you didn't expect. I love that idea, interconnected knowing this. And so as the chief strategist or senior executive team, we really need to be continually paying attention. It's not that I can do a strategic plan and then go back to it in a couple of years. Yes, and I would agree that not only at the leadership level, but I think that that idea of interconnected knowingness needs to cascade throughout the organization to employees as well. Okay. So next 
So trend number four is disruptive leadership. Now, I, I think I know what that means. I certainly know what disruptive people look like. But what does disruptive leadership look like in, in this context? As a disruptive leader, what do I, what do, I do differently? So if you think about it today, there's a, there's a concept called VUCA world. You know, it's volatile, uncertain, mm-hmm. complex, and ambiguous. You know, this whole world has changed. We just don't know when there's going to be a natural disaster, you know, that might wipe out our logistics process. We don't know when there's going to be a cyber attack. If you think about it, a lot of us have not dealt with cyber attacks until very recently, and now firms are getting attacked by it, and now we have to think about that. And we just have to always think about this little competitor that could come out of nowhere and just eat our lunch. And so what we have to think about as a leader is, how do I develop more entrepreneurial employees? And what I encourage leaders to do is think about asking your employees to become CEOs of their own jobs. Um, You know, the VUCA world is one where we all have to be first responders, you know, like under fire. And so if I hire an employee into a job, I want them to really take control of that job so that from a year from today, that job should look completely different because of the employee, because they're having this interconnected knowingness. They're understanding their job. They're understanding the industry and helping grow the firm. So I think that's really important for leaders to think about, not only for themselves, but for their employee base. You talk about having a shared vision, and that, that sounds very much like what I'm hearing is, as a leader and everyone that works with me, my employees and potentially my business partners as well, we need to be clear about what we do, the impact on our clients downstream, and how we need to be thinking about the work now and in the future. Yeah, I think it's much more important today. You know, people in the past would go to work for a paycheck. They didn't really engage too much because the management was the know-all. They were the ones Mm -hmm. who had to know the company direction. Today, we try to retain employees. People actually realize they're working all day and for many years, and so they actually want to like their work. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to engage in work. And so we have more responsibility to really be more transparent and also create this vision of why this company exists other than just profit making. You know, what what, what problems is this company solving and how is the employee part of that solution? You know, it's interesting, the idea of transparency, because I work with clients who still don't understand or don't believe that they think that if I am transparent, it, um, my employees will overshare information and it, it will be a competitive disadvantage. Well, I think transparency has a lot of definition. So let me just give you an example. Um, I had employee base. I was running an organ, actually a virtual organization, so it was a very fascinating business model. But my employees had no idea about the finances of how things ran. You know, I would get the budget from the controller, and then I would allocate the budget. And they just didn't really understand or connect the dots with how money spent was really utilized and how to make important decisions with that. So I had the controller make me a second set of books, ones that were not sharing the internal information about the firm, but one that employees could understand and mm-hmm. actually take action on, how do I plan and use this budget? That was much more transparency than they had ever gotten in their life, and they also learned about a P&L, how to run a budget, how it connects, and how it really, you know, how they can be most efficient with dollars. So I think that's important for employees 
to really, in whatever capacity you can do, is to really engage them so they understand the business better. It's a beautiful example and a nuanced <laughs> distinction, right, that transparent doesn't mean everyone knows everything, but they know oh. the appropriate amount for who they are and what we're trying to accomplish. Exactly, and I think that's where technology comes in because technology, you can screen information, but you can also share information, and you can provide yeah. access to information without putting the onus on the, the leader or the managers to do that. Okay, so let's move on to the next one, women as disruptive leaders. How are we as women disruptive? So I think that uh, women are corporate America's killer app. I mean, this is a big year for women, but in my past research that I did actually on women in leadership, we found that women are highly skilled, highly educated, and have all of the modern-day leadership skills, attributes, and characteristics that are required to lead today's kinds of firms. And so the pipeline is really here, and you'll see that women are actually interested. Um, The other thing I would encourage women to do is just not only look at the corporate world, the organization world, but also to start their own businesses um, because they're going to do it completely different, and women will bring other women along because they just transact and do things in a different way, as any diverse group would do. And I think that's a real positive, and I think this is a big investment year in diversity. Great. So let's move to diversity, which is is your sixth prediction. So innovation and diversity go hand in hand, and it is a big area of investment and focus this year for many companies. I would liken diversity to really crowdsourcing internally ideas and wisdom. Companies today have been so accustomed to going out to the external world, to the crowds, for new ideas, for services and products, everything to an ice cream flavor. But for some reason, we don't use that same kind of activity inside. You know, so this could be the idea box, which, by the way, is how Amazon Prime was designed and, and found by uh, the CEO. You know, how do we really embrace people internally so that they can really match the demands of our customer base. So I think this is something that we're going to see a lot more investment in 2018. So do you have any recommendations for companies who are trying to engage more diverse populations, and and they think they're open to it, but when they look around, um, many of their employees look a whole lot like them? They do. We get very comfortable with hiring people who are like-minded, And that's a reality just of people. Um, You know, and I was working with a firm, and they said, it's hard. If you bring in people with new ideas and new ways of solving problems, well, that takes a lot of time. And when you're on a quarter-to-quarter pressure, nobody has time. So as an individual, and I did have a woman CEO tell me that the tipping point for her, it was a financial institution, was when she hit 33% women. And then the whole culture of the firm changed, the dynamics of the firm changed, everything changed, and women started to attract more women to her firm. And so I asked her, where where'd you find your pipelines from? She said, you have to go to the places that you don't usually go to. So it's different kinds of schools. It's different kinds of industries. It's different kinds of places that, you know, most people just have a template. So you really have to think about where to find the pipeline because it does exist. We just may not be looking at it because it's uncomfortable for us. We do the things that, you know, are easy in the same old way. 
Are there places, things like junior achievement, that you're suggesting people invest in early to also continue to build that pipeline? Oh, I think succession planning starts at day one. So when you're onboarding new employees into the firm, uh, they should be set up with the expectation that they could be the next generation leader. In terms of if you're bringing in internships or people from colleges, um, I would definitely want to have them get engaged so that they can see themselves in the firm and keep returning in internships and apprenticeships or job shadowing activities. So I'm all about, yes, young people should have visibility as early as you can, quite frankly, to what the opportunities are and have exposure to work. Cool. So then the next one, as you mentioned, young people disrupted careers. What do we need to be doing differently about the, the whole entire idea of career? And we talked about working 60, 70, 80 years, uh, which means I need to be thinking differently about my career than when I thought it was 30 or 40 years. You do. And this is where the timeline comes in. Very, it's very handy and it's very simple to do. You know, you make a grid and on one side you do your age brackets, you know, by decades, ten, you know, from my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. On the left-hand side, you might want to put in categories that are important to you. What, is, what do I want my work life to look like? Where do I want to live? What do I want my social life to look like? Where do I build in family or friends or marriage or whatever it is to you? And then start to map out a couple of anchor goals so that you can see yourself getting there because then you'll cascade back. And let me give you an example. As I met a CEO, and he was a CEO at age 39. And I said, how did you get to be a CEO at age 39? And this is before, right, all the startups came. And he said, I wrote it down. Because if I wrote down that I want to be CEO at 39, <clears throat> that means I had to figure out what am I going to do at 38, 37, 36, 35, 34. And then I started to realize, do I need to make lateral moves? Do I need to have informational interviews with people at work who are in the role that I'm aspiring to? You know, what kind of skills do I need to develop if I see myself as a CEO? And so that, does that mean I have to ask for rotations or, you know, cross-functional team activities? You know, so the idea is if you start to plan with a couple of goals, the smaller goals will help you get there. And his comment was, is just write it down. Okay, so I love this idea, and I'm going to ask a question slightly devil's advocate, because I hear often on the strategic planning side, we, don't, we can't plan anymore because the world's going to change, and yet going planless seems um, also the wrong answer. So you're saying, even though I don't know what the world's going to look like even five years from now, I still make a plan, and I just continually refine it. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would definitely uh, continue to have a, a set goal and a plan. I can't imagine a company running without, you know, what are our products, what are our services, what are our revenue goals, and how are we going to get there. But what might happen is the way we get there for the revenue goals might change because the world changed around us. So you have to always be looking at your end game, your services and, you know, products, but then also realize I might have to keep changing each of the goals to get there. And that's not only for leadership, that's also just for each of us in our personal careers. We might have an idea that we really do want to be, um, you know, 
a doctor, but um, we didn't get into medical school five times. You know, we didn't pass the MCATs. So maybe is that the right direction for me or maybe I'm suited for healthcare and have to think about being a CEO of a hospital instead. Maybe that's where my skills and, you know, alignment is. So I think each of us have to think about whether you're a leader in the direction of the firm or an individual in the direction of your career is start to give some focus and structure to it. So the goal isn't to get the plan right. The goal is to have a plan that's directionally correct and assume that I'm going to change it regularly, like I would revisit annually or something. I would revisit quarterly. I think, you know, annually uh, a lot can happen in a year. So I would revisit and relook at um, quarterly. Some people do it even more often than that, you know, daily metrics. In fact, I even encourage people to keep metrics on yourself so that you always understand your contribution to the firm and the bigger picture. So, you know, I am a big advocate. And because of technology, we can do this more. You can almost have real-time dashboards today so you understand the business, where it's coming from. And this is where a lot of the newer technology comes in. Artificial intelligence and big data will help us crunch all of this data much faster so that we can actually keep on top of our business fast, you know, and our employees at the same time. And as an employee and a leader, I can keep on track on top of my success and my contributions. I used to tell my employees to write one metric down every day. How did you, a quantitative metric, did you bring in a new customer? Did you decrease cost? Did you increase profit? Did you streamline a process? Put a quantitative value around it, a dollar value on it, write it down. And the reason I want you to do that is if we have an annual performance review, and a lot of people have moved away from this and do more regular performance reviews, you can hand me a piece of paper quantifying your value. It makes it very easy for me as a leader to help you get a promotion and a salary increase. But the onus is upon you because I can't watch you every day, but to really understand what contribution that you're making to the business, and then that in turn can turn into a salary or promotion for you. So is there an app to track this stuff? Oh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't know if there's an app to track that. I'm sure there is in um, people analytics, um, but I would encourage people to figure out, you know, uh, on their own personal level what they're doing. But I'm sure there's an app somewhere in this whole HR analytic world. Okay, cool. Thank you. So let's go on break. Again, Maureen Metcalf and Tracy Weiland, and we're talking about disruptive technologies, how they will impact us in 2018 and well beyond. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. 
Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific. Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you tapped your full potential as a leader? Sometimes you have to go a little deeper and connect with your inner force. Join host Angela King as she invites you to discover something that already lies within you and helps you become a better leader. Your most important connection is the one you have with yourself. It's time to connect, ignite, and rise. It's time for Inner Force. Tune in live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You're joining Maureen Metcalf and Dr. Tracy Weiland talking about her new book, Digital Disruption, The Future of Work, Skills, Leadership, Education, and Careers in the Digital World. And this book came out in 2018, so this is a brand new book. So we are on prediction number eight, um, and that is disruptive skills. Everyone's talking about skills and how they will change as we go forward. Can you say a little bit more about what you're seeing? Sure. So when I talk about new skills in a disruptive world, I don't mean, you know, problem solving, critical thinking, reading, writing. All of those skills don't go away. But instead we have like some new overlay skills. So let me just give you an example. Today you're probably getting inputs from everywhere in the world, whether it's email or text messages or phone calls or, you know, instant messages on your, you know, or in a variety of places, and each of us have to sort of sort it, you know, and filter it. And so that skill is actually called cognitive data management. In a world where I am flooded with inputs, how do I actually filter these? And some people might use different kinds of filterings in their emails. Some people might just say, I only do communication in the morning, or I only do it at night or at lunch, or, you know, I read social media during my lunch hour. So this is just a new skill that we haven't had to deal with before. <clears throat> a second one is um, really sense-making. How do I make sense of data? A lot of companies are collecting vast amounts of data, and they have to figure out how to use it. You know, I give an example of um, Nordstrom had called me because they told me that they missed me, and I said, how could you miss me if you don't know me? And then they explained to me that because I opted in for email receipts, 
they had been collecting data on me for three or four years, and they thought they knew everything about me, and that they knew that I always shopped there in December and August, and that I missed December. And so this whole idea that companies are really hiring data scientists to make sense of the data is a new area, and it's a new skill that we have to say, okay, how do we collect data? What's the right data? What trends does the data provide? So these are just some of the skills that people need to think about. I think the third one is very interesting is uh, novel and adaptive thinking. You know, how do I borrow a trend or a technology and resolve a problem that I've already solved in a better way? So Uber, for example, is solving a transportation um, congestion problem or demand problem by using smartphones and apps. Um, Another example is uh, a doctor who is a reconstructive surgeon who saw a 3D printer and said, I wonder if I could put human collagen in the printer and print an ear because that would be better than using a plastic piece or some other foreign substance in my patient's body. If I could use their own collagen and rebuild their ear with their own, you know, their own cells. And so because of technology, we, you know, there are new skills that we need to think about um, and how, you know, and novel adaptive and thinking, sense-making and cognitive data management are just three skills. You also talk about multimedia literacy. Can you say a little bit more about that? Sure. If you think about it, 18 to 34-year-olds would rather watch a YouTube tutorial than read a book. But for some reason, we still deliver to vendors or internal training or customer information in a very flat format. You know, 75 to 85% of us are actually visual learners. So in this world where we have all of this multimedia available to us, why aren't we using it more to really engage people? I think, you know, certain industries do it very well, but more traditional industries are still delivering in a very flat format. And that's something that we can start to think about, whether it's for engaging customers or really just training our own employees. Cool. Thank you. And as you mentioned training, you talk about disrupted education as well. What needs to change Especially the the one that that you talked about that really hits me is this adaptive thinking. How do I start to help people build the skills to adapt the, to adapt their thinking and synthesize differently than they did before? Right. So you know, I'm an educator. I've taught um, students at the BA and MBA level for many years, and. My view of education has really changed. You know, we need to deliver the students the pipeline to the world so that they can work and think and create in the world that they live in, and it has to be very relevant. So, for example, to your point, how do you train someone? Well, a lot of colleges and education systems are adapting design thinking into the course curriculum. Well, that's a brand-new category of class. Um, A lot of, you know, younger uh, Schools, you know, K through 12 are integrating, obviously, programming skills, which we didn't have to have in the past. So I think we have to start to look at what are the jobs, the opportunities for our students, and then how do we build this into the curriculum? Or how do we integrate, right, our students into the workforce of the future? So, for example, Oracle, out by me, actually put a high school on their campus because they want the students to understand, you know, really the employment out in the Bay Area is technology. And so you want your students to have hands-on in touching the technology because that's the most likely career path for them. 
you know, Toyota was telling me that they offer manufacturing robotics to high schools, particularly in the in Texas, because the likelihood of the graduate, either from high school or college, is going to go work at Toyota because that's the major predominant employer. The likelihood the person is going to move, <clears throat> well, it could happen, but most people like to stay locally. So I think that as an educator, we have to be very sensitive to the jobs in our area and also how do we produce the pipeline so that our students are highly creative and employable. I think it's a great point and uh, not always connected that schools are often teaching to the tests and don't, uh, because that's the way the system is designed, right? And we lose the connection between what we really need to teach is students and reteach adults to match their skills with the, with the available jobs. Yeah, I think it's becoming, it's just the world has changed so much and there's so many more jobs available and occupation types. I mean, I try to explain to people, you know, in the old days, you either worked for a company or the public sector, you know, became a teacher or a nurse or a doctor or something. In the new world, you could run a business, you could be in the trades, you could be in a corporation, you could be for a nonprofit, you know, you could be in a healthcare system. There's so many more options today. You could be working for the government, you could be in the military. You have to start thinking and learning about these occupations in a much younger age because you have so many choices. And I, as as an educator, need to think about how to expose my students to all of those choices. Now, if you decide that you want to be in an industry that requires top grades uh, and, you know, multiple degrees, well, you know, that's your choice and you should know about that, right, so that you do excel in that area. But if you're very attracted to, like one young man told me, he likes to work with his hands and scuba dive, that someone exposed to to underwater welding because you could do both and make a lot of money. So it's the exposure. How do you find out? How do we connect those students where you bring in speakers or you, you know, have great career centers of the hot thing this year? You know, how do I really expose the students to the opportunities? Beautiful. Thank you. So then the last one is, uh, you know, we've talked all the way through about how careers are changing, how we will be working longer. You just talked about education and re-education and how we get exposed initially, but as, as the world changes and I'm updating my career pathway, I have to disrupt myself. So can you talk about what it means to do a career selfie? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it was a couple of years ago, Google published a statistic that said that people were taking 93 million selfies per day on their Android phone. They didn't even count the iPhone. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. Why would someone take that many selfies per day? That's, a, that's not a very good use of time. I mean, maybe people think it is, but that's a little bit much. So I try to find a statistic on how much time people actually spend on personal career planning, given the fact that we're living longer and working longer. And I couldn't find a statistic. In fact, the best one I found was a college student, I think it was two years out of school, still looking for a job, was spending about an hour and a half a year 
in personal career planning and compared to like 1,800 hours of sleep. And so I wrote a blog and said, it's time to take a career selfie, which is take a snapshot in time of where you are in your career and focus on a goal and make that plan that I keep talking about. Because if you're spending that much time posting selfies, I just have a feeling there's a more efficient use of that time for something that would be more useful for you. So for many of our listeners, uh, we are a bit older and many of us don't take selfies at all or don't take selfies regularly. What would you advise if I'm already in a leadership role? I think that the idea of disrupting myself is still incredibly applicable and, and probably much more so now than ever in history. How, how do we talk to in-place and aspiring leaders about how they disrupt themselves? Right. So if, if you're in a, in, a, in a company and you're aspiring to be a leader, um, you really need to think about, right, by looking at the people, whether it's in the firm or other firms, what are their skills, capabilities, experience, and education? Uh, what is required in the firm? And I would start with having a lot of informational interviews. And these can just be 15-minute phone calls with set questions of, how did you get to where you are? What was your experience? What's your advice? Where's the growing areas? Um, I would have dialogues with HR. I would, uh, most leaders will tell you that the making lateral moves today is really a necessity rather than something that, you know, you just do once in a while because you really have to see all aspects of the business. So I would let people know that you want to do lateral moves. Also high visibility. Some people might call them risky projects. You know, is there a new skunk works, like a new group um, developing and part of the firm that could use someone who's willing to lead that? You know, I would look for ways to really, you know, become useful uh, resourceful, develop some scarce skills, and really be, you know, indispensable to the firm, and be clear about this is where I want to go, so that you're remembered by the executive team, so that you are sponsored, hopefully by the executive team, because you're a high performer, and you're someone who's just said, I want to grow in this firm, but it, I realize that I have to take the activities to do that, so help me create that path so that I can stay on track to get there. So then last question, again, on the disrupt myself topic. So we've talked about younger people. We've talked about aspiring leaders and leaders. You also talked about this idea that retirement is, looks very different now, especially for folks who may be 60 or 65, and most people of, of a certain age assumed that we would retire around 65 and yet, as I work with a lot of CEOs, and many of them are looking at next step, and it's not retirement. It's just kind of next step planning for folks who have had very successful careers. They don't want to retire, but they may not want to continue to run a complex enterprise in the same way they did in the past. How would you ask or suggest they disrupt themselves? Exactly. Whether it's called Encore Career or your second act, we have to start thinking about what that's going to look like before we have the exit plan, right? So a colleague of mine, her advice, she's working well into her 70s and still employed, is look at age-appropriate industries. 
You know, you're not going to go to a startup in your 70s. You're going to be welcomed, however, in the public sector, perhaps, the healthcare, nonprofit, and as a consultant. So you have to start to think about that. I have another colleague who is planning in his 50s to own a franchise when he exits, and he is out doing a lot of exploration on what is a franchise, what does it mean, how do I meet other people owning them so that when I do exit, I know exactly what I want to do because he wants to live in a specific place and he wants to not work for other people. So I think each of us have to think about what do I want that picture to look like? And I would encourage that you do this on the weekend and nights and you start to make that plan so that there might be skills that you have at work that you need to hone in on or get some other skills so that you can do exactly what you see yourself doing in 10 or 20 years. Thank you, Tracy. So let's do one minute on uh, wrap-up. How would people reach you? How would they find your book? Give us some kind of closing comments. Oh, sure. Well, thank you very much. Uh, my website is tracywyland.com, which is T-R-A-C-E-Y-W-I-L-E-N.com. Uh, the book is at Amazon and also through the publisher, Peter Lang, but you can come to my website as well. I am on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook as Tracy Weiland, um, and Instagram, and you can reach out to me um, anytime, and I really enjoy hearing back from people and what's top of their minds as well. Thank you so much, Tracy. And to our listeners, we really want your feedback. Either email me at info at metcalf-associates.com or go to our Facebook page, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Thank you for listening. And in as a wrap-up to Tracy's work, talking about the disruptions that she is projecting and how specifically do we navigate those. I want to just do a quick rundown that, that because of the disruptive technology, we are looking at our society being disrupted. How do we work and how do we relate to technology? From there, she talks about disrupting the work we do, disrupting the industries we're in, disrupting leadership, women as disruptive leaders, using diversity to disrupt our organizations, disrupting our careers and how we think about careers, disrupting skills, again, and how we think about our skills and gaining new skills, disrupting education, and and then disrupting who we are and how we relate to work and leadership and our lives. So thank you for joining us. I hope you heard something that is easily applicable to your life immediately. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.